Hi, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast Season 2, and I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is a podcast dedicated to all things food, from recipe ideas to interviews with chefs, producers, purveyors, farmers, and people who just love culinary adventures like myself. So join us here on Fridays to explore the world through the lens of food, and together we can share some yummy food, some laughs, and I welcome you here at my table always. And if you're ready, let's go on a food adventure together starting right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is episode 20. Episode 20, season 2. Woo! Alright, if you're new to the podcast, thanks for being here. If you're a long-time listener, I love ya. And you know what I'm going to say, don't take notes. I've taken all your notes. Go to my website for everything, elizabethrfuller.com. While you're there, check out my amazing food and product photography. I'm a professional. I do for a living, commercial, editorial, I gotcha. You've got questions for the podcast. If you want to be on the podcast, if you need culinary sleuthing of any kind, send me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. And of course, tag me in your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. All right, you guys, wait, hold on. I think we have a word from a sponsor first before we get started. Howdy, food adventurers. I'm Neil Dudley, the Vice President of Peterson's Farms. We produce top quality bacon, sausage, and ham from humanely raised animals that are never fed any animal byproducts. We're real people making real food. To learn more about what we do, visit petersonsfarms.com. Now that's with a D, not a T. P-E-D-E-R-S-O-N-S-F-A-R-M-S.com. And since we're fans of this podcast, we'd like to offer you 30% off your next order if you use the discount code adventure 30 again that's adventure 30 enter it at checkout 30 percent off your order one time see you there all right and now let's get going with the show all right so how was your weekend how was is your weekend a saturday sunday i know for a lot of people it is but for a freelancer like myself who owns her own business Sometimes it's not a Saturday, Sunday. Sometimes a weekend is only a few minutes during the week. Sometimes a day off is, um, you know, a whole entire week. You know, you just, you never, it's never a whole entire work week, but you just never know when, I mean, you take the work when you get the work and you, uh, it's an ebb and flow and it's a fun, fun, fun thing. It's, I am thrilled that I took this plunge so long ago and I'm not looking back I will tell you that I've got some really exciting things coming up um, that I can't wait to share with you guys in a few months but before that I also have uh, just a fun project I've been working on with I don't know if you are all familiar with America's Test Kitchen it's a company that has shows on PBS they have an America's Test Kitchen show they also have a Cook's Country show And they also have many publications, one being Cooks Illustrated, one being Cooks Country is another magazine they they publish, plus a whole slew of cookbooks and lots and lots and lots of awesome food photography. Well, um, they kindly reached out to me a few months ago, and I have been shooting for them. I've shot for Cooks Illustrated. Um, You'll be able to see some of my work in the September-October issue. And then you'll be able to see a lot of my work in the November, December issue. We just wrapped that. 
and we'll be going back into the studio studio in a few weeks to shoot the January February issue it's really exciting so my photography is the beauty shots you know the hero shots of the recipes um, and the team's amazing I love working with with everyone in the that I've encountered in the company so far it's just been an amazing experience and one that I'm uh, you know very grateful for and it's a ton of fun and uh, you go constantly learning and growing love driving into Boston haven't done that in a hot minute so doing that occasionally throughout the months um, it's a ton of fun so if you happen to subscribe to the magazine you will see some of my work in those issues um, and if you don't subscribe to the magazine well pick up those issues because yours truly is in them well my work is in them not my face <laughs> it's just something I'm very proud of so um, check it out and this and this week's episode, I wanted to do, and just in case you missed it, episode um, based around food photography. It's my passion. It's what I love. I can't get enough, you know, I can't talk about it enough. It, it really lights me up inside. So I selfishly wanted to <laughs> go back through the grab bag and pull out two episodes from season one and just kind of mash them together because I think um, they actually go really well together. So let's dive into this. All right, our first, first one up. Uh, this was from season one, episode 29. I was a little nervous interviewing her because I was such a huge fan and I was fangirling out pretty hard, not gonna lie. So if you hear me, being like a little nervous yeah that's that's real that's totally real uh love her youtube channel the bite shot she is an incredible food photographer and educator in our community this is joni simon again season one episode 29 from the bite shot and as somebody who's a creative you walk this very fine line when you're looking for inspiration for a photo shoot and creating a shot list or a mood board. Yes. What do you do? How do you walk that line when you're working with your own clients or creating something like this? Because you don't want to replicate anyone's work wholeheartedly yeah. when you're doing something professionally like this. And it's not just an Instagram fun tag, right? right? Like, yeah. What do you do? Yeah. I mean, I think that in preparation for shoots, you know, especially when I know I'm creating, it depends on the shoot, but I mean, I, every single shoot I do, I'm collecting inspiration, right? Like I'm collecting reference photos, right? Especially for those difficult uh, to shoot things. I think of a specific example shooting for um, a hotel chain last year and we needed to shoot their to-go items and their breakfast items, which you can imagine to-go breakfast items aren't necessarily going to be the cutest foods ever. Mm -hmm. um, and so one of <laughs> one of them, which strikes fear in the heart of every food photographer was a breakfast burrito. And it's like, <sighs> okay, we got breakfast burrito, challenge accepted. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, then I'm out there looking for, okay, well, what let's just look for breakfast burritos, you know, like let's Google it. Let's look on stock sites. Let's look at all the different resources that I've got out there. Mm -hmm. um, and so then starting to, I think having that bigger collection so that I'm not working from just one photo that's inspiring it, but going, Oh, I really like the way, like there were a number of shots that I'd seen from other ad campaigns out there. Um, one in particular that I was like Googling because I remember being on a plane at one point in 
time. And I don't know if it was Southwest airlines or what. Um, but I remember like their little, like in-flight meal thing. I was like, and <laughs> this is fantastic. Right. So, <laughs> I was, like, Who did this? I know. I was like, <laughs> I should have it. Cause of course, like here in preparation for this shoot, I was like, Oh, it'd be really helpful to have that as inspiration to look to. Um, so I'm like Googling Southwest airlines, American airlines, you know, like I need to get a hold of it. I couldn't find it, but I found some things that were helpful in that sort of ilk and, uh, you know, kind of going for some harder lighting, but with a certain amount of fill light, like that was yeah. going to be flattering for that and how to position the burrito and, you know, different sort of strategies of, you know, like how can we play off putting other things in the background and mm -hmm. also just understanding the art direction that I had, um, from the art director who was on that shoot. So I think that, you know, whenever we can mold pull from multiple sources, you know, it's, there's always that great adage that great artists steal, you know, and I think that if you, though, if you're taking from multiple inputs that ca that can really help you to sort of morph it so that it doesn't look like an exact recreation. Um, yeah. but certainly like I, you know, like I write in the book, I love it when people legit, like straight up copy it, right. Because you learn so much in that process too, of like, Ah, how are we going to get this lighting to look like that? Or how am I going to get yeah. this texture to look like that? Or those colors, you know, I think that there's so much that can uh, stretch us. And then you take that into your future and go, oh, I remember when, back when I recopied that, you know, as a little exercise, now I can bring this into a future shoot. So well put. Absolutely. So with that, are you ready to dive into the <laughs> most amount of listener questions oh this podcast God. has had? And like, Woo! I had to condense some down because <laughs> multiple people ask similar questions. Perfect. Yeah. So let's, let's dive right into this. I'm ready. I'm All ready. right. Lindsay and Matt from Facebook, and this is a two-parter question from Lindsay and Matt, yeah. ask, I'm new to photography and I'm trying to attract slash land clients in the commercial and editorial world, and it's a slow go. How can I do this more successfully? And how did you find yours in the beginning or any tips on how to do it better now? Yeah, so it's a great question. So when I first got started, um, the vast majority of the clients that I got all came out of, I was doing personal work, um, you know, just like shooting for myself. And inevitably if we're shooting for ourselves, there's some sort of food, some sort of products in there. Um, and making sure to include, you know, tag to that product and then sending a direct message to them. So prime example being, um, I first, this was like 2015. Uh, and I had, I was creating recipes for a food blog for my own food blog that mm -hmm. I was like, ah, I'm going to be a food blogger. This is what we're doing today. And so I created this parfait recipe. And I remember thinking at the time, like, this isn't even a recipe. This is like me putting Sara Lee pound cake with some pudding and some fruit and sprinkles <laughs> and like calling it a recipe. But I'm like, you know what? I really like these photos. So let's just post it anyway. Nobody's reading this blog anyway. What have I got to lose? Let's right. post it on whatever. I think at the time, like 2015, Instagram wasn't what Instagram is now. So mm. I was posting mostly on Facebook at the time. And so post on Facebook and tag Sara Lee Poundcake. And then I sent a direct message to Sara Lee Poundcake on Facebook and said, Hey, just want to let you know, I love your pound cake. Been a big fan for years. You know, here's the link to the post and here's, you know, here's what I've shared all yours. If you want to share it too. 
Um, and I didn't hear back from them, but then oddly enough, I can't remember exactly the timeline, but I feel like it was within the next month or two, they reached out and said, Hey, we really love those photos. You shot us like kind of this other group. We don't need photos, but the corn dog division, because state fair corn dogs has the same marketing firm handling certain amount of, um, content and photos and things like that. And they said, can we, can we send your information over there and connect you with these people? And so that actually turned into one of my first big like big name shoots shooting for state wow. corn dogs um before i even really knew what i was doing and i think back to that i'm like oh my lord what i didn't know but um but i learned you know and i think that so much of it is like you know we get so keyed up of like am i ready for this moment and it's you're like you're ready you're ready because yeah. i you know <laughs> I think back and I go, oh man, so many things I didn't know. But at the same time, like we're not curing cancer. We're not saving lives. Like this is mm -mm. food photography. What's yes. the worst that's going to happen, right? Like they hate the photos and they say, I'm sorry. Like, can we have our money back? Okay, great. Right. You know, right. like if that's the worst that's going to happen, then I feel like <laughs> um, that's, that, that's not that bad. So no. uh, that, that strategy worked time and again for many, many clients. Um, some of which I've, you know, kind of had to move on because my pricing has um, now advanced Changed. to a place <laughs> yeah, since when, when I first started. Um, but that has always been a great strategy and I think continues to be a great strategy. I think there's a lot more people doing that. So you have to be a bit more um, uh, thoughtful in terms of those reaching out. And I think too, you know, I, I watch people and they say, oh, I'm pitching, but like, are you actually reaching out to people? And are you being intentional um, mm -hmm. about like, look at the LinkedIn page of that company mm -hmm. and see who's working there and who's in marketing and who's in advertising? Like who, who are some of those different players? Every company is going to be structured differently. So there's not like a specific roadmap to say where to start. Um, but I would say too, something that was another great strategy for me. And I think this is informed probably on geographically where you're located. Phoenix is a, you know, it's the fifth largest city in America. Mm -hmm. People don't always know that. We think we're a little podunk, but we're not. Oh, you're not. Um, you're warm and you're hot and you are big and flat. We're fifth largest. Exactly. Yes, for sure. So, but, um, but, uh, it, finding opportunities to connect with local purveyors, local companies. And I'm not talking the farmer's market folks. Now the farmer's market folks and the super small, like micro businesses can be a great place to build your portfolio and collaborate and maybe do some pro bono work, things yep. like that. Um, but looking for like, for me here in Phoenix, Shamrock Farms, they're a local um, dairy, although they're regional at this point, they're actually fairly large, but the players are physically here. Mm -hmm. um, they're easier to access than say going after craft foods or even Sara Lee pound cake or some of those bigger, uh, you know, multinational brands. Um, so, you know, go for those companies that you may have an easier way to access them because they're not going to have the layers of agencies involved too. Mm. They're not going to have the layers of complexity of their marketing team. Like there's going to be one, if you can find a company where there's one person handling all the marketing stuff, that's going to make your job easier to then target and get connected. Um, but yeah, I mean, just get out there and start pitching, start connecting, start serving, start showing people, you know, here's what I do. Here's what I can offer 
offer. And I would say if you can also start to incorporate other unique offerings in what it is that you do, you know, we do food photography and recipe development, or I do Mm. food photography and video and I do stop motion or I do, you know, like thinking about how you can diversify those skills as well um, can be, you know, I've done a lot of video for clients over the years and have been thankful to have that skill set because it's, um, it goes together well and means you can charge more for what you're doing. And that's always great because I, I agree with you. You can't just lean on one thing. And I love what you said because being intentional and tagging the company on Instagram is one thing, but there's so many, so many people get tagged in so much stuff. It's going to fall through the cracks. You have to follow up. You have to go to LinkedIn, add those marketing directors, add those people. I totally agree with you. Great, great advice. All right. Kristen in Texas says, this is a good one. The other day I was trying to shoot white coconut popsicles with a white backdrop and white pieces of coconut. The shot would not come together. I wonder why (laughs) Kristen monochromatic. Do you have any tips when shooting white on white on white on white? Yes, it's all about the lighting, 100%, all about the lighting. And I would say to the layers um, that you're creating, but you could even do it. Like I'm just sitting here visualizing, thinking that, you know, you could just have like the white popsicles on a white background, you know? And so thinking about how are, are there variations of textures in those things, mm. you know, um, a highly textured background with a really slick popsicle, one thing, as opposed to a popsicle that's got like a lot of texture to it, like those homemade ones. And there's like all the little air bubbles and oh, things like that. So those. thinking about, um, the variation, of the texture, or if you need to introduce something like, okay, maybe I need to like slide some parchment under that, or I need to do something to help um, separate it from Mm -hmm. the other things in the image, but then lighting 100%. Because if, you know, one of the places where I see so many folks go wrong, I mean, we love our light. A lot of folks love light and airy. A lot of folks love dark and moody, love people love in between, you know, everybody's got what they love, right? But um, for the folks who love the light and area and are trying to accomplish that, one of the places where they go wrong so many times is that they're adding too much light from too many directions mm. to the scene that then you lose any sort of contrast and clarity. Um, and, you know, so many people think, oh, it's my lens but it's really not your lens. It's your lighting before it's your lens. 100% every time. Like, I can't tell you how many people I teach lighting to. And then they go, oh my gosh, my camera is amazing. And I'm like, I know you've got great tools. Right. Get you good lighting. So um, for that white on white on white, uh, you would want to make sure, even if the whole thing is super bright, that you have enough um, contrast by thinking about, okay, what, you know, if you're working with artificial light, what modifier are you using? How is it creating... Um, you know, enough depth in those shadows that, Mm -hmm. you know, if you've got a big old light source, like a big old window or a big soft box off to one side, and then you've got a big old bounce card on the other side, and you're filling in every shadow that exists in that scene, (laughs) then it's just going to feel flat. And then you're not going to see the separation, right? Right. to differentiate the popsicle from the background from you know the coconut chips and all the other things so um, really just ensuring that you have lighting that has shadows in it looking at your histogram Mm. are there any dark tones present if there aren't that's an indication to you that you need to do something that's going to add some shadow and i'm not talking like dramatic shadow i'm Mm -mm. just talking about something that's going to help to contribute to that depth so maybe you need to introduce some black cards um or if you've you know there's a video i've done which, you know, people like mind is blown understanding if you're shooting in a room where you've got light bouncing up off the ceiling, you've got a white ceiling and it's not super high that, you know, putting a black card above the scene 
and to help prevent some of that fill light getting in and it helps mm. to just sharpen up those shadows, make everything feel a little crisper. I love that. We'll tag the video in the show notes for yeah. our friend, Kristen, um, Michelle from Instagram writes, what are your top three food styling tips that some people might not know about? Ooh, top three food styling tips. I would say, um, thinking about what's in the book. Yeah. Um, one that came to mind that I don't think I've shared in any videos and I don't even think I've told anybody this <gasps> one. Not even in the book. <gasps> Maybe it is. I can't even remember. <laughs> You'll have to tell me. If this okay. Is book. Okay. So it's on the meats chapter. And of course, meats drive everybody crazy. So yeah. the steak that's in that image, um, you know, I was thinking about, okay, how am I going to prepare this steak? And suddenly I had this little aha moment that I should sous vide the steak and then sear it afterward. So that, you know, so it's a, the reverse sear process for anybody who's a, you know, steak nerd or a sous vide nerd. Um, but by cooking it sous vide enabled me to get like the perfect temperature on the inside of the steak. And then because it held, then it wasn't as rapidly changing as opposed to putting it on a super hot grill and taking it off, right? Like you have that temperature differential, which really contributes to then the change of the look of the meat once you slice into it. Yeah. So you're going to have a lot more forgiveness. So, you know, if you're doing a lot of meats and a lot of steak, steak specifically, um, or other red meats is that it's going to be a lot easier um, if you've got a sous vide. So that is one. That's a juicy uh, one. Literally. That's a, that's, a, that's a great one. <laughs> Another uh, pun intended. That one didn't, I wasn't trying to be funny. <laughs> I can't help uh, it. I'm That's who to I am. Of other, oh man, so many little tips and tricks. I mean, I feel like one of my, one of the things that I do a lot, cause there are just so many and every food is so unique and different, um, in the way that, you know, the different foods behave. But, um, one of the books that I love and I recommend is food styling by Dolores Custer. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is a fantastic book. And it is like the, the encyclopedia of, of food styling. And it's so funny because I've recommended that book in the past and people will buy it and then they'll go, oh, this is very overwhelming. And I'm like, no, don't try to read it cover to cover, right? Like this is like an encyclopedia. Don't read it cover to cover. Just, I mean, you can start out the first couple chapters, but once you get into the foods, like only then reference like, oh, I'm shooting pancakes today. Okay. Let's see what Dolores has to say about pancakes. And she's got pages on pancakes and pages on, <laughs> uh, you know, popsicles and frozen things and different ways to do different things for different purposes. And wow. I mean, she's like that next level of advertising, photography, food styling. So where we're getting even more into the nitty gritty, as opposed to like editorial style, where we're a little bit more freewheeling and having fun. So mm -hmm. I feel like that's also maybe a part of the tip from food styling is one of the, uh, we're going to make this tip number three. One of the it. places is understanding then to what is the purpose of your image and what is the, the placement and the use of this image. Um, you know, so many people get into try to perfecting things or doing things in a specific way that's not intended for the kind of photography you're doing. So really having a solid understanding of what is the purpose of this image? Is this an image to capture lunch? Cause I'm here at a restaurant. Like we don't need to like, you know, do all the crazy food styling stuff that we would do if this was going on, a, you know, his Budweiser campaign going into Times Square, you yeah. know? So like there's different applications and understanding what's like, what's the amount of effort required <laughs> and the amount of perfecting. And, um, cause I do like to, I don't, I don't like to do too much 
like trickery, you know, in terms of food styling, but, um, you know, certainly some of those things like, you know, really picking quality ingredients and, you know, undercooking the meats a bit to make things look a little plumper and, yeah. you know, thinking about visually, uh, how things are going to show up and, you know, my little Evian mister, everybody's, I feel like that's always like a, what is that? What is she using? You know? So I've got, I, you can use little atomizers and different little spritz and spray bottles and any like pro food stylist will have like 10 different spray bottles because they'll produce different looks and different things. But um, my favorite go-to is just the little Evian misting spray and it's stupid expensive, but it's <laughs> it like, you're bougie girl. <laughs> I know it's super bougie, but the, the, but the, the like the perfect, yeah. it's like yeah. the perfect amount of spray and yeah. like the droplets. It's like, I mean, this is when we're like super nerds, but it lasts like you buy a little can of it for like 20 bucks, but it'll last you like a whole year. And That's I, awesome. I mean, it's last me a whole year. So, yeah. And um, it goes back to what your, your YouTube video that you posted today about, um, and we're recording this, this will be next week. So it was last week's YouTube video about the action. And like yeah. you, you talk in the video about how the Jamie Oliver one and how, like, you're like, what, what is this supposed to capture? You're supposed to capture somebody's home. You're in somebody's home and the way the water was falling underneath the colander and things like that. Like, <laughs> I think that's a great point when you're styling shoots that, what are you trying to, what is the image trying to portray? Yeah. You know, what are we doing this for? What's the, what's the reason we're doing this? You know, totally, totally. Okay. Madison from Instagram writes, I'm new to writing proposals. Do you think it's better to just do one price for everything? Or do you like line item everything out by any chance? Will you be doing a YouTube series or a course on proposal writing and what the industry is charging? I know the answer to this because I saw the email today. You just got an email this morning about literally. It. Yeah. <laughs> so great question. <laughs> So I, uh, yeah, I have been working behind the scenes. It's taken me a while because I really wanted something, you know, there's so many resources out there on pricing and estimates that um, kind of give you high level overviews. But I was like, no, we need to get in the weeds. We need to get dirty and we need to like have conversations around it. We need to connect people because I think that our industry is in such a funny place right now, you know, like this collision of the way it's always been done mm -hmm. in commercial and advertising photography, and then sort of this new wave of content creation and influencer marketing. And like all of this is sort of like jumbled up together. And there are so many more photographers now who are, you know, coming into this through all variety of different avenues that they aren't coming through more traditional, you know, agency work and things. So it's, it's, there's this crazy collision going on. And so I feel like I'm, I'm here to present and I'm put, I've put together a course <laughs> that goes through all of the, it's complicated, all of the, it depends and all of those mm -hmm. details. Details, um, but then also creating a space for real conversations to happen around this, because I think that there's so many different perspectives, depending mm -hmm. on what part of the market you're serving, depending on the kinds of clients that you're working with, depending on your experience level, depending on all, like all these different factors. Um, and so, uh, yeah, profitable pricing is the course it is in depth. It has all the tools that I use for creating my own pricing. It has you know, actual estimates that I have put together and shared and won. Um, so it's not, it's not the, you know, it's not just theoreticals, it's ones that have happened and that I've done in the last year um, and then creating a space for people to connect. So that one is coming out actually. So July 16th. So that <gasps> Perfect. is- Perfect. It goes live. So it will awesome. be 
for enrollment. Uh, and I'm really, really excited about it. I've started sharing, um, you know, some key people getting their eyes on it. And they're like, this is exciting. I'm like, I know finally, cause it's, it's a little, you know, it's a little daunting cause I feel a big responsibility to, um, do this right. And to do this in a way that is helpful for our industry. And that isn't just leaving people in the lurch. Um, cause you know, pricing is complicated. And so to answer though, the kind of the first part of that question mm. is, um, every estimate in terms of the world of commercial photography and, uh, food photography. So when we're doing work for businesses as opposed to consumers, so we're not talking wedding photography, mm -hmm. we're not talking senior portraits, things like that. Um, is that every estimate is going to be unique based on that particular client because there is no one size fits all in the work that we do. You know, mm -hmm. there have been photo shoots where we spend an entire day on one single photo. Mm -hmm. And there have been photo shoots where I get into a restaurant and I shoot, you know, hundred images in two hours, you know? So how do you gauge all of that? So those are the tools that are in the course. And, you know, it was people like, oh, we'll just turn it into a YouTube video. But I'm like, this is hours of content at this point. And this is stuff that I'm like, for the price of admission, you are going to make that back tenfold in your next photo shoot Oh yeah, <laughs> with these tools and skills. So, um, so yeah, so that is coming soon, but in, as far as like line iteming versus, versus doing an entire package, it depends on the client. Um, so I would say clients who are more savvy, we're talking about agencies, we're talking about, um, you know, people who hire photographers regularly, then they're typically going to want to see those line items, see things like licensing broken out separately and the usage and like all those little nitty gritty details. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to want to see the hairstylist. They're going to want to see the, you know, food and beverage and all the different things as opposed to, you know, a smaller brand or a smaller company who's, you know, they don't hire photographers a lot and we don't want to make them feel like they're getting nickel and dime. So presenting a package price then um, that encompasses everything from your time, the amount of money it's going to take for you to produce that work. Um, as well as if you're including some sort of licensing, because I don't think we apply licensing um, in terms of fees to every client that's mm -hmm. only going to apply to those larger clients. So help it, helping to navigate all that. And that is inside the profitable awesome. pricing course. Right. Leah from Facebook writes, will you make a food styling series one day? <laughs> food styling series. So this is uh you know, it's so funny because I think that when I mean, we go back to like, what is food styling? Um, I feel like different people have different definitions of what food styling means. Um, in the traditional sense, when we talk about commercial and advertising photography, um, you know, we talk about like hiring a food stylist and those people are, they have the ninja skills. They usually have, you know, some sort of ability in terms of um, cooking and preparing the food, but maybe they are also working with a home economist. Like the food styling can get into really complicated territory as opposed to what I think, um, you know, a lot of folks who are content creators creating for blogs creating for themselves um, or working with smaller brands or companies, you know, it, it gets more into the realm of like prop styling and composition almost more so. And so a lot of times, you know, kind of gauging which, which avenue are you looking for? Are you looking for more of that high end? Like you want to be, you know, brushing the right. glisten on the burger for Burger King? Or do you want to know how to place your napkins so that they look free flowing in the scene, right? Like those are mm -hmm. two different definitions to me of styling. Um, so there are some great resources out there. Susie Eaton, she is a professional 
professional food stylist, works in Vegas, LA, like she flies all over the country, does amazing work. Um, and she has a course that is literally the in-depth on, on the foods. It's kind of like Dolores Custer's book, but mm. in a video format. Um, but if you're looking more for like the nuances of style, like how to put all the props together, how to pick the backgrounds, how to make everything work together, then I refer to composition essentials from Rachel from Two Love Studio, because that really does kind of get at styling from more of that props perspective. So um, certainly I love to do, yeah, more food styling content, but I would also say, you know, it's, it's again, it's like, what, what are we getting at when we want food styling? So for those who want food styling content, I would love to hear, like, I don't know, what, do you have a perspective on what, like what people are asking for when they want food styling content? No, I, you know, I think it, like you're saying, it's the same people who think that they need to buy a $10,000 phase one camera to Don't get the shot that you're getting. Right. And you're like, no, you can buy a used camera from any place. Yeah. And you don't need the $10,000 lens either to go with that. Like mm -hmm. it's so, I, I think you're right. It, my guess is it's probably more on prop and composition than mm -hmm. food styling. Cause the, the, there's such a finite amount of people who literally want to paint on right. food, right. you know? And like, you're, th that's when you're, you have 16 different kinds of tweezers, but you are touching those sesame <laughs> seeds one at a time, you know? Oh. And I mean, <laughs> You have to be such a type A type person to enjoy doing that. I am not that. I'm like, where's the drip? How can I catch the drip? Right. Ah, just smear it. Oh, well, I'll take it out and post. It's all I good. Know. You I know. know, and amazing. I mean, yeah. And so I think yeah, it kind of depends on that content, but, but to answer the short answer to that question is absolutely. I'll do more from the perspective of composition and prop styling and set styling as well as, uh, as well as food. So awesome. More to come right. on. <laughs> Jen, Ashley, Mark, Kenya, and Leah from Facebook and Instagram want to know, it's a burning question. What is your favorite dish slash prop to use in styling? Oh, yes. Okay. So there's the, well, there's definitely like, if you look at the props collection, right? Like there's some fan favorites. There's some frequent flyers. There are. Will. So I feel like, um, so there's this, these plates from, uh, KJ pottery. They're based out of Spokane, Washington. Uh, and I love their plates and they the speckly are ones. Yep. They're yep. so pretty. They're just they so are. cute and they're really sturdy. So I don't have to really worry about them as much. Um, those, I feel like they just food photographs beautifully on them. <laughs> they're, it does. Not, they're not matte per se, but they are a little more dull in comparison to like a high shine. Um, I'm sure if I just looked around, there's <laughs> definitely some that get used more than others. Um, I feel like those are the little, like there's the hearth and home or whatever. What's the yeah. Joanna Gaines one yeah, on, in target. Yeah. So there's like the little, um, dip bowls. Yeah. I feel like those are just always peeking in corners from different Absolutely. places. And but, they have, is those the ones that have like the little wonky edges on yeah. them too, a little bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She really nailed it with those ones. She so did. those are, those are definitely some faves. And, but honestly, like in terms of stuff that I just love to have, and I feel like makes its way in all the time, um, it's just parchment paper. You know, I feel like you can two different kinds. You got to have both colors <laughs> brown and white. and white. You got exactly. to <laughs> have the both. Um, those, those are definitely favorites. Um, and then in terms of like, like uh, forks and knives and things like that. There's a set that I got from Crate and Barrel, Crate and Barrel, I think. 
either mm-hmm. it's Crate and Barrel or West Elm, but they kind of have this great sort of texture to them. I can send you a link to them. Mm-hmm. So check it out um but they're also not too big they're just the right size uh and i actually i bought those when i was doing the book and so those have been new like personal faves and they just end up i think in every other food photo because i feel like we gotta switch it up (laughs) and they don't have like a lot of design or a lot they're just like the perfect little fork to just pop right in there and you're good to go so and it's affordable like crate and barrel stuff's not yeah you know it's not neiman marcus like it, it's not still great. affordable enough um renee in chicago writes one of the things i struggle with the most from time to time is self-confidence with my work and trying not to compare my work with others or where i am in, <clears throat> in my career with others that i follow on social media and in the industry this is very timely that we're talking about this is is this something you have struggled with before and if so how did you overcome it oh i mean i don't know if i've overcome it right like i feel like um, yeah, it's, it's very hard. And I would say it's, it's so much harder because it's so much easier to compare yourself to others. And I do, you know, I think there's a fine line, right? Because I think that it is important to see what's happening out there and understand trends and understand what's going on and be informed. Um, but I also like, I've been on a three week hiatus of Instagram and it's been incredibly life-giving and I've, you know, I, it took me a couple of days. I felt like it was some sort of like, you know, addict had to come down for a couple of days to disconnect from it and feeling like very anxious about that whole process and like, what am I missing? What's happening? Yeah. Big time FOMO. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm going to become irrelevant and nobody's going to, you know, it's like all these, all these things that, you know, it's, it's hard when you're kind of addicted to, to checking all that out. So, um, you know, if you haven't done it in a while, take a break from it all and just, you know, it's all going to still be there. And the other thing too, I always think about, and I feel like helps me not get too wound up in my own head about what's happening right now. I mean, there's, there's a number of things, um, but I always try to think about the long game. Like Mm. this is the right now, but let's think about 10 years from now. Like I'm not just even talking like next year, I'm talking 10 years, right? Like what, if I keep doing what I'm doing in terms of improving my skills and investing in myself and learning and doing work and showing up, like, damn, 10 years is going to look freaking amazing. Right. Like that's amazing. Cause even I look back like where I was a year ago and it's like, wow, I've grown so much, you know? And so thinking 10 years, so always keeping that longer perspective, that long view, um, in mind. And I think too, you know, something that always, (laughs) this is like the wackiest thing ever. (laughs) And it's like a little joke around the house, but you know, something that I've always taken with me that I think that helps to propel me is realizing how incredibly small all of this really is. Um, You know, I always say in the vast spectrum of the space-time continuum, all of this is a blip on the radar, right? Like this is such a small thing and, but we can get so incredibly invested. And I think it's that, that uh, paradox and that balance of like, yes, this is incredibly important and means a lot to me. And, it, but at the same time, like it's also so small, right? I, and because I don't think that you can go to either end of the spectrum, right? You mm-hmm. can't go with, oh, it's all meaningless and not important or, oh, this is the most important thing ever. So I think it's a balance of the two and being able to find yourself somewhere in the in-between um, can help, I think helps helps keep me grounded. Um, you know, and, and, you know, something that I think really I go back to, 
getting through, I remember being super anxious going into junior high. So sixth grade into seventh grade here in the US, you go from elementary mm -hmm. school into junior high. And I remember at the time going, I, like, I'm going to fail junior high. Like, this is such a scary transition. Like, how am I going to ever, like, uh, I'm going to be a <laughs> junior high dropout, um, which made no sense. But, you know, yeah. we only we, beauty school. You can only drop out of beauty school. <laughs> Not junior high. <laughs> but just like in anything, right? Like right. we make these things out to be really overwhelming and really scary and talk ourselves out of it. But I remember at that time, and this will, you know, kind of be telling of again my age, but I was watching The Wonder Years was sure. on television and Fred Savage, who's, you know, the main character. And it was like, well, he's in junior high. And if Fred Savage can do it. <laughs> and make survive junior high. Yeah. I can too. Right. With Winnie Cooper. It's like this little dose of encouragement. And so I always look to, I, I feel like I've continued that mentality throughout my life of like, anytime I'm like, I don't know, like grad school, this feels very overwhelming, but there's a lot of other people who are not as smart as I am who have made <laughs> it through grad school. And yeah. there's a lot of other people not as you know, smart as I am, <laughs> who have built successful food photography careers or, yeah. you know, and I'm here to say like, I am not some sort of genius. I am not some sort of like miraculous human being that's so, um, you know, got some sort of secret that's allowed me to create this food photography business. So Joni can do it. You, you can do it too. So, um, I feel like always kind of having that mentality and having grace with yourself. Cause you know, you're, you're never going to be 100. I don't know. I mean, there's definitely some images that I go, oh, that's a kick-ass image. I really yeah. rock that. But, um, by and large, I'm mostly always seeing the flaws. Always, always. And it, it takes sometimes years for you to go back and be like, oh yeah, I actually do really like that image. That's I actually, know. I, know. It, I mean, <laughs> like you take it, you think you got it in camera or, you know, in capture one, and then you go back to edit it a week later or whatever. And you're like, what was I thinking? This isn't working out. Oh my God. And then you send it off to the client. They're like, oh, it looks great. You're like, okay, great. I'm glad I just, just skim by with that and then like two years later you're like wow it's a really good image I, I that, that was great that. what was I being what was I thinking about yeah, yeah. totally so and the other so thing hard. you said earlier at the top about the book is having a core group of people that you trust and that love you and want to see you succeed and you can lean on them and be vulnerable with them and be like I I'm, I want to burn this whole thing down. My life sucks. I don't want to pick up a camera again. I don't know what I'm doing. And they're like, you fucking amazing at this. <laughs> like, shut totally, up. Like, totally. And I think that's something that we all need from time to time. All right. Alana from Facebook writes, do you have any tips when purchasing things for a photo shoot, food, props, everything, and not going overboard? I always feel like I buy way too much and only use half of it, if that. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Don't buy so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I feel like you might need it. You might need it. That's always the hard thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I I would rather have too much than not enough. There was a photo shoot we did last year for a um, there's a trade organization in the food industry and we were working on a magazine of theirs we had nine shots and you know there's a lot of snacks mm. that we were featuring and and nut milks it was a interesting anyway <laughs> um so <laughs> the food stylist you know 
she did all the shopping and, you know, and we always, she always buys more than we need, obviously, because that's, that's going to help to ensure that we don't need to be running out in the middle. Back to the store again, right. Going and buying more. Um, But we really like way overbought and she was so apologetic, but I'm like, no, it's fine. Like, again, I would rather have more here. And so, I mean, hopefully too, you know, I think there is sort of this challenge in terms of from a sustainability standpoint and from, um, you know, budgeting standpoint. So I say, it depends on if you're shooting for a client or shooting for yourself. If shooting for a client, in theory, you have a budget, so that's going to curb a certain amount of that purchase. But if you're shooting for yourself, you know, setting a budget for like what is reasonable to um, to do for this shoot, so that that's also helping your bottom line and your expenses and keeping that all in check. So I feel like that that's a good equalizer is the budget. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, as far as like an exact science and an exact formula, I don't know that I have one. Um, and so if you've got extra, hopefully that's food that you can freeze or that you can use for a later date or give to friends and family, or, right. you know, there's a local, um, soup kitchen that we work with here. That's, you know, five minutes from our house that sometimes we volunteer at, but they're great. As long as we haven't opened certain packages and things like that, like they will accept those donations and be mm. able to utilize those. So also plugging into, um, you know, local community efforts can also on the that's awesome the of food. <laughs> I love that. Kalise in New York writes, I'm so sick of potential clients fighting back with pricing. Do you have any tips on how to negotiate contracts with clients and how not to discount your work? Mm, I mean, I feel like I'm just really clear on where my boundaries are on mm-hmm. numbers and, and I don't take it as a personal a front, um, you know, when, when the pricing (laughs) doesn't work out, um, you know, and there's, there's sometimes when it's like, you've, I I mean, there, oh man, the the conversation could go for hours on this one. Um, so how to keep it brief. I know, right. (laughs) I think that, yeah, it's knowing where your non-negotiables are, where, where is your bar? Where's your barrier? What do you need from a profit standpoint to make this a profitable job? Um, also really having a good solid understanding of if they're going to, if they're going to ask you to give something up that, that like, that's a, it's a two-way street. Like I'm not just going to give you a discount without you having to give up something in return. Um, so always like, I feel like that's something that I'm always thinking about as I'm putting together numbers. And I mean, this is something I've been doing since I started working in sales, right? Like Mm -hmm. how can I put maybe some extra things in here that I'm willing to give up that when they come into this negotiation and they say, oh, we can't quite meet that budget that then I can say, okay, uh, cool. Can we, are you willing to give these things up in exchange for that? Is that less shots? Is that Mm -hmm. less, you know, if this is a situation where we're limiting our duration of time, because this is a bigger client, like, can we negotiate that? So always thinking about how can I just put a couple extra things in this first estimate (laughs) so that they come back and want to take those numbers down that I have something that I'm very, you know, can very easily get up, give up. And then it feels like a two-way street. So it doesn't just feel like you're conceding. Um, but uh, yeah, I feel like too, it's just having a good understanding of like, you know, people, and I understand it. Like, I totally get it when you're like, I'm out here knocking on all these doors and then I get an opportunity and then the pricing doesn't work. And, and then you, you feel so defeated and you feel like my pricing is wrong. And I would say, 
more often than not, it's just maybe, and it's not the right client, right? right? Like if there's somebody who wants me to do this work for less than I know I'm worth, then that's okay. That's totally fine. There may be other photographers for them. Go be intentional about going and finding clients that are at the level and can understand um, and can appreciate what it is that you're charging for the work. Cause they, they absolutely do exist. And in this day and age, there is such a demand for content, for creativity. And like, I keep saying it and I'm like, y'all pay attention. This is the best time in the history of the world to be a creative person. And the demand is only like, we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg in terms of content and imagery and visuals. Like the internet has exploded this open and there's going to be, I mean, it's, it's a roller coaster and like, like buckle up, here we go guys. And so, um, you know, don't, don't be afraid because too, you know, I watch folks take jobs that they're being underpaid for. And then that's an opportunity cost because there are potentially other jobs that you're not pursuing or that you don't have the time to market towards or those better quality clients. Cause you're down here spending umpteen bajillion hours on something that's paying you less than you could make working at Starbucks, you know? Yeah. So, um, really being thoughtful about assessing, assessing the value of a project like that and sticking to your numbers and, you know, talking to, uh, you know, Andrew Scrivani, a lot of folks know him. He had said the other couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, if you're not losing more than half, you know, at least half the deals that are coming in, like you're undercharging, right? You should be losing deals. If you're winning every deal that comes across your desk, you're not charging enough, you know, and you know, I'm always too in that position where when I deliver pricing and then if somebody comes back and says, okay, sounds great. Then I go crap because I know what did I leave on the table? table. Right. There was still money there to be had. So, um, and, and getting clear too, before we even get into the conversation of putting together an estimate, asking what is their budget and getting a sense of if this is even somebody, you know, I made this mistake a couple of weeks ago, I had an incoming inquiry for food photography. And I, uh, you know, I said, oh, okay, great. Let's get on a phone call. Cause that's always my first step. Let's yep. have a conversation. Let's talk through what you want. So I can put together numbers. Um, and, and all of the signs pointed to this was an established business. <laughs> Yeah. This was something that I was like, okay, this could, this could be this somebody. Legit. Yeah. Cause I can sort of, I mean, at this point in time, I can sort of screen it. I can go, sure. you know, there can be inquiries that come in from like Instagram that I go, you yeah, know, like this, like they're yeah. great, but that's not the client for me. Cause I know they're just not even going to be able no. to afford the They have like a hundred dollars for their budget. Right. Like that's this is not, not even. Right. Enough. Right. And you no. can kind of start to gauge that over time. And yeah. again, it's all on a sliding scale, depending mm-hmm. on your experience and where you're at in the market. But, um, but based on the sniff test, I was like, okay, this is going to be fine. Um, and so we get on the call and all of a sudden start asking more questions and I go, oh no, no. but that's okay. And so I had already committed to the conversation and I was like, all right, we'll put together numbers, but sure enough, like I already knew based on like, they had just launched the company like a month before. And so that was again, like I'm super excited for them, but then I knew at that point, like I'm going to be way outside their budget. And so I still put together those numbers because why not? Why not? Right. I've got a good system at this point and can put it all together. Um, and it's a good exercise, but I, uh, yeah, I delivered the numbers and sure enough, they're like, oh, great. 
thanks. And I'm like, yeah, like, I right. And so I think getting really clear on, is this somebody who's even going to be able to afford my services before we get into that conversation Mm -hmm. and understanding, yeah, where, where are your, um, where your numbers at? So, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Amy from Facebook writes, I'm building a styling kit. What are the must haves for a food photographer when food photographer, when it comes to a kit? Yeah. So my Evian spray bottle, number one spray bottle. Yep. Bougie spray bottle. Number one. It's got pink little top on it. It's adorable. I always lose the pink top though. The pink top is gone. Um, so uh, yeah, the mister super nice for like salads and just when you need a little spritz and like great on citrus, you know, when Mm -hmm. you just uh, resurrect the the limes or the lemons, things like that. Um, so there's that. And then I love having some nice culinary tweezers. I keep losing them. I, the other day was like going to shoot and I was like, I need to bring my tweezers. And I'm like, I have bought like 10 pairs of freaking tweezers this year, but, um, getting ones that you like, I think this is like a personal thing. And again, you know, we talk about pro food stylists, they have like 10 different tweezers to me. Like some that are those nice culinary ones that have kind of little bend. So not like face tweezers, but like, no, they have some length to them. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you get the grabby effect. Yep. Um, lint-free towels. So like even when I go to a restaurant and restaurants have towels, but a lot of times their towels have little fuzzies or little things that may leave behind. So just having like, I've just got some nice microfiber towels, like the car washing towels mm-hmm. or great, other things like that. Um makeup wedges, those little spongy wedges, those make their way into all sorts of scenes in all sorts of different applications. If you just need something to be propped up a little bit or zhuzhed or poofed or what, it's like this great little, I, there's no end to the <laughs> makeup, <of> wedge. <laughs> makeup wedges and then sticky putty. So like the museum putty, um, it's that ticky tacky sort of stuff that just helps stuff hold when it's like that fork won't sit on the side of the bowl. That's going to work for the composition. I just need you to sit here, you know, or I need this flower to sit here on this bottle, or I need this to do this, you know, so that little sticky putty. Um, I think, I think that's everything in my basic crash kit. And I bring all that, like, I've just got a Ziploc bag that I'll pop all that in. If I go to a restaurant shoot and a lot of times I don't need all those things, but it's just nice to have in case you need a little spritz of something, you need oh, yeah. adjustment. So that's the no, guy. and the putty's great because it's reusable. So you yes. can buy it. I mean, it won't, it doesn't last a lifetime, but it's no. like eight less than ten dollars, and you'll get tons of use out of that ten dollars worth. I mean, of I feel like half the spoons in my props collection already have it underneath of it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh no, that's go- still good. Let me just warm it up. Yeah. All right. So often like the silverware will wander into the home kitchen and then Ryan, like he will do the dishes and not realize like, this is not, this is a prop spoon, not a home spoon. And he's like, what is on the bottom of this? I mean, he's learned at this point, but yeah. Oh yeah. No, we have that problem. Then we also have, I have to put post-it notes on everything that my husband Todd cannot eat. I'm like, you cannot (laughs) eat the pie. You can't. Like I've, I have woken up and been like, that was for tomorrow's shoot. What the hell happened to it? And he's like, it looked so good. The cherry pie. It was so, I was like, oh God. Sure it was. I'm sure it was. was. Ah. I know let's go make another all butter crust. Carolina from Instagram writes, what do you do when you're having a hard time getting the shot? Oh 
Yeah. I know oh, that sigh, the sigh. I know, yeah. I know. You know, you feel it. And I, it happens all the time, mm-hmm. all the time, all the time. <laughs> you know, yeah. I feel like there is so frequent, there's very few shoots that you just like get in, you get the shot and you're like, we're good, right? Um, there's always going to be that moment at which you come across a frustration. I'm trying to remember what it was. There's what the exact shot was. I can't remember, but we were doing a a cookbook shoot this last year and it was me and a pastry chef. And, you know, we were hired by the author. The author wasn't with us. So it was just the two of us. And, you know, we, which makes it easier. That makes it a lot easier when no one's breathing down your neck. Right. And so we're doing our thing. And all of a sudden I was setting up the scene and he was doing, and these were like some very precarious desserts and complicated things. And (laughs) there was a certain point at which I'm like getting frustrated and it's not working right. Like in the setup, like the light, I can't remember what it was, but I was just that oh crap moment that I feel like I have on more shoots than I don't where you come in like, Oh, am I going to be able to figure this out? Um, and then meanwhile, he's over assembling this really complicated dessert thing. And he all of a sudden lets out this sigh and like, I don't know if, if this is going to work, you know? And I'm like, I feel that right now too, you know? And so we're like, Oh, and then we're like, we can do it, you know? And so we like rally together and we're like, yes. And then you just like, there's always just that little moment and you just have to go over the edge. Right. Cause then all of a sudden it's going to be there. And so Mm -hmm. you just kind of have to anticipate that that's going to happen and be okay with it. And like, if there are clients on set, cause it happens every time there's a client okay. on set, there's something not working and you just, you just anticipate it. Know that that's because it's very surprising the first time that happens to you and you go, oh. um, but just know that that's normal and then just keep, keep pushing, just keep showing up, keep doing it. Cause you do, you know, especially if you're shooting for a client, you do have to get the shot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and if you have to restart over, that's never a failure either. If mm-hmm. you have to like strip it back down, that's something I do quite frequently when it's like, this is not working. I just need to, let's get back to the surface. Mm-hmm. Let's rebuild, let's mm-hmm. rework it. And then you kind of take what you just learned and what didn't work and rebuild from there. Yeah. Cause the absolute worst thing is if you do a shoot and then you go home and then you go through it one more time with the photos and you're like, I, I, I thought I got it. I didn't get it. Like there's yeah. no takesies backsies. Like it's right. that's that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And like, get up, move around. Totally. Shake Reach a little, do something. Yeah. Yep. Take yep. Take a beat, take a beat and know it's normal. I feel like anytime I can sit and go, Oh, I'm feeling this way. What's going to go? And they go, no, no, this is, this is a part of the process. This is just a part of the process. It's okay. You're going to be it's fine. Okay. And again, yeah. we're not, we're not saving lives. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> no, no, we are not. The, I always call the, the heroes, the food heroes that are going to the shot, the actors coming to the set. And I'm like, yeah. where are my actors? And like, they die. Some of them die very quickly. Like <laughs> certain actors do not hold up well under pressure. No, no. 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 They are very high maintenance. Very high maintenance. <laughs> yes. Sean, Danny, Jessica, and Reagan from Instagram writes, when you're working on sets with a client, what are the things you always make sure you have for those just in case moments? <laughs> I mean, we kind of talked about that with the styling kit, but if there was anything else. Yeah. Um, you know, 
it is one of the reasons why I really like working from my own studio whenever possible. And I've had shoots. I mean, now fortunately we've built a bigger studio where we can have more, but I've hosted like full on photo shoots at my house. Um, which I think has become more and more the norm. Like the client is at my house and that's okay. Um, and that is totally okay. Like yeah. people are like, can you do that? I was like, yeah, you yeah. absolutely can. And yeah. I mean, ask them, are you okay coming to my house? And yes, I will make sure the dog is at my in-laws and I'll make sure the kids aren't, you know, somewhere like, else, you know, make it a professional environment. Um, but it is one of the reasons I like working in my own space because then I know like, you know, oh crap, I need a snoot. Uh, guess what? I got one, you know, or, you know, granted, I don't need snoots very often, no. when, but when you do, <laughs> when you do, when you do, I bet you have at least two. I only have one. -uh. Actually, I only have one. I, yeah. She's got a million things of diffusion material, but she's got uh, one snoot. One snoot. <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's so true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like it is one of the compelling reasons why it is nice to be in your own space. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, your styling kit, certainly some bounce cards. Like yeah. when, even when I think about things that I bring to a restaurant shoot with me, even when I'm trying to pack light, I'll still have a white card and a black card mm -hmm. just because you never know and I may not use them and that's okay mm -hmm. um in some sort of yeah depending on the kind of lighting scenario you're working with um you know having some sort of diffusion or some way to modify modify the light because if you mm -hmm. can modify the light you're pretty good and one yeah. of the things that I bring to a lot of restaurant shoots too is those roll-up backgrounds just mm -hmm. in case again mm -hmm. you know we've had the conversation in preparing for the photo shoot to understand what's the vision what's the look and maybe you've scouted the location but especially if you're working in a place where you've not worked before um, in like a restaurant situation is having something that you can guarantee I can get a great shot on this background because yeah. sometimes those orangey yellow backdrops or, you know, those tables in the restaurants are like high gloss <laughs> yellow. And you're like, this is not going to work. So mm -hmm. having, you know, something a bit more neutral or a bit easier to work with, those can be real, real butt savers. Yeah. And they're easy to, they're portable too. So you're not mm -hmm. bringing huge slabs of marble or huge slabs of wood <laughs> or tile, which we all have in our house, but yeah, going on site. And I love to bring clean, crisp napkins that have never been in the washing machine. I will always bring at least two. And I have stacks and stacks of napkins that will never go in the washing machine. And when they get <laughs> so disgusting that they have to go, then they go into the house and now they're in the home collection. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just get your little spot cleaner and yeah. you know, oh crap, I just spilled on it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, those yeah. are, that's you got to, you got, and they can't ever go in the washing machine. All right. Next up. She is an incredible food stylist, dare I say even world-renowned. She is based in LA, has styled everything from movies to TV shows to photo shoots to commercial editorial. She is just, I mean, her skills are just unparalleled. She also has created an amazing food um, LinkedIn-y type site for all of us food creatives called Foodie. That's P-H-O-O-D-E. She, her website is foodpoka.com. I'll link everything in the show notes for you, but please welcome to the podcast, Marta from season one, episode 40. And soups, that sounds great. I actually have that on my blog because I have a blog about Polish food. Oh, cool. What's your blog? I didn't know that. We are learning so much about one another. Foodpoka.com. Yeah, this is my portfolio website. Okay. And styling. And part of it, the website is my blog and 
I used to write about Polish food for Americans. So there is a lot of my personal stories related to food mm-hmm. and Polish recipes and my personal memories of them from my childhood and times when I was growing up. So you may find it interesting. Some of the stories are quite popular. Yeah. That's wonderful. And I mean, I love the name of foodpolka.com. I think that's, I, I can't believe polka, it. Polka, that's adorable. Dance. Polka is a Polish word for female, Polish female. Oh, it's really? Not for yes. So Polak is for male and polka is for female. So then what about the music? Polka. That's Czech. It's from Czech Republic. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was- Oh, I'm so red in the face right now. I thought <laughs> polka music came from Poland. No. Oh, am I the first person that's ever said that to you? No, a lot of okay, people good. think that. Okay, good. Okay, few. So um, we have to talk about what you're doing now. I mean, you just kind of touched on the fact that like you have been in the photography industry in one way or another for a long time, right? Like Yes. You, you were a food stylist and um, and you've done many other jobs in the industry. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, so actually this all started from me blogging. I mean, I, I work with the creative food industry and the advertising agencies. We're designing props for movie sets and things like that, a lot of food related. But then I somehow, every time I would go to Europe, things people in Europe would annoy me talking bad things about American food, you know, because all they knew was McDonald's. And I'm like, you guys are out of your mind. Like, you don't know how good American food is and how much culture it is. So I started writing, blogging Polish on American food and recipes and cultures and things, which is actually really popular in Poland, you know, like I, I educate people on like barbecue sauces and just things that are very American. Yeah. So, but then people here get mad. And that's how I really started photographing food. And then when I started that blog, so people here would like, why, why can't I read? Like, why don't you do that in Paul in English? So I started, but then I like was thinking like, Americans are not gonna read no. about American food. They, because they have all, all the resources here, but maybe I should write, start writing about Polish food on the other hand. So I started doing that and photographing. And I don't know, somehow these two blogs landed me the first job I got hired by a food magazine in Poland, the editor hired me. I started writing articles and, and basically providing photography for them. And I think I did like, I don't know, like five or six issues with them. Wow. And somehow, somehow just, I kind of like started liking it and I started looking more and I started getting more into production work, you know, in video production. I live in LA, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of that. And photographing, getting more clients, more serious clients, you know, work on more serious projects. I started learning skills as a food sti- professional food stylist, mm-hmm. commercial food stylist, not just like the social media food stylist, things that, you know, things, all the tricks of the trade and studying all the subjects. And I always been into photography. I work as a photographer for the music magazine before, mm-hmm. but food photography is a different beast. So I had to like yeah. learn a lot too. And I like that apparently I was like natural too. Wow. So yeah, it was just like a, it was like a progression over more than 10 years. And yeah. How and many so pairs, I, how many pairs of tweezers do you own? Let's, let's 
in the food styling well, world. I know. Probably like, <laughs> probably like seven or eight. <laughs> what are what are some of your favorite like professional food styling tricks that uh, us food photographers might not know how to do? I don't know, like that you can melt head, like you can melt things with the heat gun for construction heat gun. You can melt cheeses on set, right? Mm -hmm. Take them to your liking. There is a lot of little different things. I don't know. I can't think about it. Yeah, think think about, about it. I'd love we can have a couple on show, in the show notes. What about like really being creative on set because sometimes you don't even know what's gonna be thrown at you, and you may deal with something complicated that you didn't even think about. So it's about what I like about food styling is like being creative and thinking on my feet. You mm -hmm. have to be very industrious. You have to be creative. You have to mm -hmm. understand food as a creative plastic object. Yeah, you see it differently than the rest of us probably see food in a way. Well, okay, here's a better question. What are like the five things in your food styling kit that you bring to a set that you cannot live without? Anything like tweezers, that's one. Yeah. You need the trays for for organizing things like plastic cafeteria style trays mm -hmm. you need a lot of like chemicals like glycerin for hatch-ups and keeping things stretched out I would call yeah I agree then, and you can mix the glycerin and water together to make those like perfect water droplets that'll adhere to the surface and not slide off like yes. yeah yeah yes it's usually 50 50 but it depends mm -hmm. what the brand wants Mm -hmm. And then, and then you, you need like alcohol for wiping things and keeping things clean without any smudges or, mm -hmm. you know, like greasy things. You need toothpicks for connecting things. There's a lot of little, little things. Mm -hmm. Wires. It's basically like a toolkit. It really, no, really <laughs> in a construction like a, heat like gun. Like a kit slash toolkit yeah. slash yeah. artist kit. It's like when you are a food stylist, you have three favorite stores or four. You have a art supply store. You have a Home Depot. Yeah. You have a you have a ninety nine cent store. Yeah. A grocery store. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true, and so from food styling from photography writing all of these things you kind of are transitioning or have I mean god you you I don't know when you sleep I'll be honest with you but you started a whole new site called foodie p-h-o-o-d-e and where did that come from well it actually came out of my experience and frustration with the market and things mm. that the market was missing but you know I started working with food industry and creative work before the whole social media explosion mm -hmm. so i am kind of like almost old timer nowadays and then all the thing exploded and the market started kind of getting watered down the rates started getting downgraded the project the quality of the project before people were like really professional and they knew what they're doing once the whole social media started the market really changed you know the influencer became stylist and and while this is great, and there is a lot of self-taught people, there is a lot of problems because of that. So I decided that somebody needs to do something about it and sort these sort this problems out. Because I got frustrated from clients contacting me and wanting this, this, and this, and this, and 
maybe include the model and stuff, but the budget is like four hundred dollars. Oh, know? I know, I know. Not understanding what what goes into this. So yeah, I agree, and I think part of that too is the way that people consume media now is so different than even ten years ago, fifteen years ago, when you'd look at a photo it wouldn't be literally scrolling through photos every few seconds on your phone. You would look at it on a web page or an advert in a, you know, an actual magazine. And it, it just, the longevity of it was there versus now we consume imagery. Like we breathe air even more so sometimes. And we even take a breath, you know what I mean? So because yeah. of that, it, everybody's in a hamster wheel. So they yeah. need for content. And the ways of getting content are being reinvented. So, you know, now now brands are not even really hiring professionals often. They hire influencers that create pretty good content. There is a lot of really high-profile influencers, you know. And yeah. so there's a lot of different professions that go into creating food-related content. Mm -hmm. And I work with a lot of different projects. I work with, like, a start food startups. I work with high-end ad agencies. I work with magazines, with publishers. I work with media companies. I work with celebrity magazines. I work with celebrity content, mm -hmm. a lot of different forms. Uh, so I knew more about the market than probably average person. Yeah. And I decided to put all these things in my platform. So anybody that does things creatively with food for brands and services, food related, mm -hmm. can, can, can be on the platform. And the platform is meant for networking, for being able to show off the portfolio and and also to be able to to be fined because mm -hmm. it's like a targeted search engine and it's built specifically for the industry of food mm -hmm. of foods of, of food and all the creative needs that the brands need for advertising branding product development i also including people that work on brands development like because every brand they don't develop the products out of nowhere there's a research there oh, yeah. are people that are working on creating flavors, textures of food. So there, there is a lot of creative work that goes into that. So people like that are also on the platform. People that write about food, not just for magazines, but copywriters and anybody that does anything creative work that is used for advertising, mm -hmm. branding, recipe mm -hmm. development, product development, content creation, anything like that. And even like designing interiors for store for stores and, and places and for brands, for restaurants, anybody like that can can join fully and it's all designed for them. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm on it and a user and um, a writer for you. And I, I view it as a very, very specific version almost of like LinkedIn in a way where it, there's a way for us all to connect and network and show off our work and our profiles and get people who are like us. Cause on LinkedIn, we kind of get sometimes and on other platforms, you get kind of lost in the mix of the algorithm where this, the algorithm is working for you because this is exactly what it's meant. You're meant to be on this platform because of our, what we do in the industry. It's like a, it's, I call this community of common interest. There is a common interest. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm just starting. This is a huge project and it requires a lot of more resources, but the idea is there. And a lot of people from different branches of food industries and creative industries are very excited and interested because it's it's like like you said, it's targeted. So, mm -hmm. so it's not random or generic like LinkedIn where you have everybody, but not really 
anybody right. that you want. And then if you want to find somebody specific, you have to hire a recruiter to look for you because you it's can't like a needle in a haystack. narrow down your search and yeah. fix for specific things. So yeah, for so, sure. So that's a good segue into as a creative like myself, how do you feel that someone like me as a food photographer can get hired by using your site? Well, first of all, it's about creating your profile and positioning yourself where you want. I, the way I design it, I want it to people being able to identify their strengths. So there are categories that allow people to define their style because I think that's what most people don't understand. Most people are just copycatting things, but mm -hmm. I think the people that really get hired are people that do something creative and all of a sudden the trends become mainstream, you know? Like if you see all the things that started on social media, were started by some famous photographer. You know, I, I, I know all these people, like I can tell you like where the lighting style came from. So when you join Foodie, you can define your style mm -hmm. and you can build your portfolio and showing these projects. And they all they are searchable and shareable across any social media that is convenient for looking for clients. So this is one, so this is one aspect. You can share those projects, you can show them off with all the categories. And when you share them, it shows your name, it's attached to your mm -hmm. skill that was used for those projects. And it's easier for people to really, to really identify who created this project. Because when you share from other things, they're not, they're not giving you any categories. When you share things from Facebook, like they, it doesn't say anything about who you are, where you are from. So footy is, is, is generally good if you wanna find something very, very specific. And that's why I encourage people to when they create profiles to use very specific things to mm -hmm. learn how to identify themselves as a creative mm -hmm. so if you like if you are good in macro photography you should use that because there's not that many good people in macro photography macro food photography if you are brilliant lifestyle like you know emphasize it and mm -hmm. then people people specifically go to website and they can search for that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think that's great the more the more the more specific you are on what you're doing, the better chances you're gonna be discovered. So that's mm -hmm. once. And the, the other thing is like being part of this community, you know, when people come there and they look. I, I just had a lady from New York. She was, she already hired like three people for her oh, website. Wow. She, she, she owns like a catering company and she needed for somebody that would create content for her social media. Then the, so she hired somebody of foodie. Then she hired somebody created images for her website. And then she hired somebody to to write something for her. That's her great. And blogs. So think about it. She otherwise she would have to go Google and probably find a lot of people that, that you know know what to do. Mm -hmm. And just because she went to foodie, she was able to find all these professional skills when it comes to food in one place. Mm -hmm. So so you're, you're saving people time and energy and stress and you're creating an environment that is supportive of what we do as creatives. And I applaud you for that because you, my friend, have really doubled down on making this work and being successful. And it really is working. Well, like I said, it's just starting. And like, I'm, 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 my, my vision is much, much broader. There's mm -hmm. a lot of more money, which I'm looking right now, but it's, it's definitely people are very excited because that was my concern. Also, the thing is that the platform attracts very high-end creatives that normally would not want to be with bloggers or influencers or some lower-end photographers, but they are. 
you know, the website already attracted a lot of high-end, super high-end comer TV commercial directors from all around the world, as, as well as the people that just like like food and foodies. So the community is building, mm -hmm. and, and the bigger the community, the bigger really the purpose, and the better chances that it's just going to work the way I'm assuming, you know? I want oh, this to yeah. be also like a, a little bit like social media too, where people can also look at the other ideas, get inspired. Like I actually got hired by the client the other day to shoot cookies. And I remember that somebody who joined Foodie had really brilliant project. It was a lot of like macro shots of mm. showing mm -hmm. text and stuff. And I used that to show to my client. Like I linked it. I said, oh, it's great. As a reference, because they told me they they looking to show the sizzle and these pictures were perfect. So that was something for them to visualize. So you can use that as a resource too, if you want to find something and show right. your client, like find some kind of reference, that's a good thing. You don't have to, you know. Spend you hours use, on Pinterest. You can use that for like <laughs> boards and things like that too. That's great. That's, and I, you know, as somebody who's in the industry myself and I'm doing mood boards and shot lists, constantly that that's a great resource and something that I am taking advantage of and will take advantage of in the future. I know you are looking for investors to take foodie to the next level. How can the community support foodie and help it be very successful? Because I know it will be. Well, first of all, you can, if somebody's interested in food, they should join it. That's, you know, the bigger the network, the better. And if you happen to know anybody that has a lot of money, <laughs> <laughs> and wants to invest in it just yeah. send it my way okay, great. I, I will be i will be glad to talk about the idea and my vision for it and mm -hmm. also people i'm looking for people that you know want to test creative directors agencies anybody that wants to be involved in the process of helping me because i don't want this to be designed uh, like large social media for addicting people and, mm -hmm. and putting them in a hamster wheel. This is a tool. All right, you guys, thank you so much for taking a walk down memory lane with me this week. I loved listening to these women speak and I will link all of their information in the show notes. So go to my website for everything, elizabethrfuller.com. If you have questions for the podcast, shoot me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. And of course, tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram. I love seeing them at let's go on a food adventure. All right. Have a wonderful weekend. Make some yummy food together. Lead with kindness. And I'll see you next Friday. Bye. Thank you.